Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of... It's beneath the screen of the Ultra Critics. I know it's been a while, but, like, come on. <laughs> it has been a, at least a month or two. Uh, sorry, everyone. It's fine. Um, this week we're talking about two movies that Kara pick. Yeah. And Kara mm-hmm. is one of my co-hosts, followed by Thad. Oh, yeah. And this week, uh, Kara, what, what two movies are we going to be talking about this week? Uh, we're going to be talking about um, two movies that I watched in my... Uh, apparently, technically, when you're a teenager, it's um, your childhood now. I didn't know that happened. I don't know when that happens. I guess that happens around mm-hmm. 35. Um, but what I watched when I was a teenager, which is two dark fantasy movies, Nightbreed and Return to Oz. Well, there are both movies from when you were a child, yeah. regardless of, of when you would have become attached this to is them. True. So, you know. Um, so, have any... Had Thad... I know Kara's seen it, but Thad, have you seen Nightbreed or Return to Oz mm-hmm. before this? I had seen Return to Oz in the way that I think many people of our, like, broad age bracket had seen it, which is, like vaguely on tv in snippets that like melted into your subconscious as a thing you weren't sure whether or not you had dreamed um and nightbreed i uh saw for the first time when i watched it for Uh, uh, i had seen return to oz a little bit more as a child i used to have it on tape um Mm. taped off the television that is and um but it wasn't one that I watched repeatedly. I just know I watched it a few times as a child. I mean, I, I, it's one of the things when we watching it, I was like, man, I remember so much of this without realizing I have remembered. Well, most there's, of it. there's parts of it that I remember very clearly, and other parts that are like, I do not remember this at all. Like the 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 wheelies, yeah. like those guys. You didn't I remember did the wheelies? That as a, <laughs> I did not. I did those not things were fucking stuck and in the forefront like, of my mind. <laughs> No, it's it's yeah. The, it's the lady with the room sorry, full God. of heads. That was the one that like haunted my nightmares without question. And Nightbreed is the same. I watched oh. it for the first time for the, with this podcast. The director's cut, not one of the many other cuts that exist. I think there's there's what three uh, sort of official. Well, honestly, cut, I think right? the only really Regardless two whatever, official yeah. cuts. Because one is like the two of them. Uh, one well, of them is like a work print. Which yeah, isn't a like, cut. There's, there's, there's two <laughs> official ones, and then there's like a... And the other cut, one is a VHS think, right? cut. Which is... Yeah. A VHS cut. <laughs> we do not speak of the VHS cuts. I mean, this happens with cult movies. Like, that's this appears to just be like a thing that will occur. You know, I, ironically, you could argue this movie is a cult movie in the sense of it being a cult classic. And it's also a cult movie... Because it's an occult. Oh. Um, just so for those of you at home, uh, Nightbreed is a Clyde Barker movie from 1990 that was horribly butchered by the studios. Morgan Creek Productions. Mm-hmm. They didn't get it. They didn't get its beauty, but I understand. <laughs> I perceive. Uh, so we're going to start off with Nightbreed. We are going to start off with Nightbreed. And you want to give us a so quick cool. rundown? I, I can. Um, so I'm going to give a... <laughs> can you? A ri- because this movie Like, this movie weird. has a Johnny Katara vibe, and it was like, and you never know where it's going to go. 
Oh, that's a good... Yeah, I like that as a comparison. All right, sorry. Uh, go, go we're, ahead. we're just going to hit the high points of this one. I would hope uh, so, because we don't want to die. Good call. <laughs> uh, Nightbreed um, features a main character, uh, Boone, and he has been having dreams and or nightmares of a place called Midian, where the monsters live. Um, and so he ends up... Uh, he has a girlfriend, Lori. He's talking on and off to a therapist, and some threads start to come together, which is his dreams about Midian and the fact that there are a bunch of murders in town. And his therapist finally tells him, the dreams you're having about Midian and these this murders are the same. Uh, Boone freaks out, meets a man who tries to cut off his own face to go to Midian, ends up going to Midian and finds out it is a graveyard. And it's a graveyard that monsters live in underneath. Uh... They call themselves the Tribe of the Moon. Uh, in a state of panic, uh, Boone is actually shot to death by the police because it turns out the person who's been doing all the murders is his therapist. <laughs> and who is a psychopath who has been setting him up to be seen as a serial killer. Uh, also, in a fun note, this is a Clive Barker-directed property, but the therapist is played by David Cronenberg. Whoop, so whoop. I guess... Played magnificently uh, this is, by David Cronin. This is also not to derail, but scored oof. by Danny Elfman. So it's just wh whoever out there has your bingo card of like shit from the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, you know, just just check them off. Uh, and Boone, having been bitten by one of the monsters, uh, is resurrected as one of the tribes of the moon and goes to the underground city where he meets their god and they explain that he has now joined them, that they have been hiding themselves from society because humans have been destroying them and persecuting him. A as a point, Boone is bitten by a monster person because it tries to kill an eater. Yeah. And, refer and it's sentient, and it refers to him as meat and is very well aware. The monsters of Midian are not harmless. They are not fragile. They are simply outnumbered. Uh, which is a great thing of being like, what does it mean to be a victim and also not to be perfect? Like these don't have, you don't have to be a good person in order not to be tortured and murdered for being right. different, which is a great point. Uh, Boone's resurrection from the dead begins to bring in a lot of other problems. And so eventually uh, his girlfriend, Lori comes, finds him in the basement of the Nightbreed. Uh, they are trying to flee. The therapist slowly loses his mind as he realizes that he was not able to su uh, successfully set Boone up to be killed and that he has been resurrected and has become determined to destroy the Nightbreed. Uh, the local police are just a huge amount of insane fascists. <laughs> there is a scene where one of the Nightbreed is viciously murdered by police that is so Oof. unsubtly a gay-bashing allegory of... yeah. Yeah, trauma. The, the police in here are all monsters. And uh, eventually, the police... Very ACAB movie. Yes, the yeah. police, the therapist, heavily armed, go to destroy the city and all of the beings in Meridian in an orgy of torture and violence that they are very well aware is cruel and unusual. They drag along an insane priest to try and convince him to help them, which he's reluctant to do. The therapist is excited to fulfill his dreams of murderation and Boone encourages the monsters not to hide but to fight back in a pretty awesome scene of just great special effects prosthetics and creatures murdering the shit out of cops 
Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually the god decides to destroy everything. Um, the survivors run away. The cops are killed. And in the theatrical cut, which was not included in the director's version we watched, um, the mm. priest, driven mad by what he's seen, uses the blood of the monster god of Midian, Baphomet, to bring back the insane therapist, making them both supernatural creatures, so that way they can eternally hunt and kill the people of Meridian. Boone's girlfriend, Lori, kills, um, stabs herself to death, so that way he will turn her into one of the Nightbreed, and he can join, and they can be together forever. And he has turns out is prophesied to lead the monster people into a brave new world to find their god and create another refuge. Also, there's a great scene where it's implied that he just eats a bunch of dead people. Just just eats the shit out of them. <laughs> but you don't get to see it, which, I'm going to be honest, is a little disappointing. Well, there is like a whole, like, feels like a whole section missing of when he returns yeah. to the Nightbreed. After yeah. he dies. Yeah. There, there's a lot of places where it feels like something is missing. Yeah, it's... You can you can definitely feel a looseness to like the events uh, uh, as as the movie gets like well, and to along. some degree that kind of helps because it gives the movie that sort of like because yeah. the movie does much like Johnny Katar and other movies like it like it feels alive in a way that you never know how it's gonna go. Yeah, yeah, like the first like when Laurie is going down into the bottom of Midian to try and find uh, Boone while he's communing yeah. with the weird god or whatever. You just get a walking tour of all the the different like like weird creatures in this place, and it's great. Uh, some of which you see again, some of which you do not. <laughs> there was a just, lot of uh, money put. There's a lot of money and time and effort and time in a makeup chair uh, put in for somebody to be glanced in like less than a twenty second shot in the background. It is yeah, hard to watch Nightbreed and not get like a Guillermo del Toro sense in terms of. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. How the loving quality in which the monsters are made up, and also the love in which the monsters yeah. are viewed with. Because this is essentially the humans are monstrous and the monsters are more humane. Yeah, like it, it, it takes zero. T- There's like one cop in the movie who is like vaguely not overtly he's the a black worst cop. person, and yeah. it's the one black cop. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, and even he is not like a good person. He just isn't actively a right. hateful fascist. Like, but uh, I okay. So, so sorry. So one thing I, I gotta go de- ahead. I gotta derail um, because I did something to Carol while watching this movie that I now have to do to Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremiah. So Aaron Boone, mm-hmm. our main character, yes. Craig Sheffer. Uh, is the actor who plays him. I'm going to say another name at you, and I, I just okay. want to know what you think. David Boreanaz. <laughs> There's a lot dude, of in his face. Just a lot, a lot dude of Dude looks <laughs> like just David Boreanaz. Again, but like earlier. David Boreanaz, it's so 10 weird. years or, or whatever. Yeah, 10 yeah. years before. Um, not even 10 years, 7 years yeah. before... Buffy aired, which is Just weird saying. because they have a very different vibe in terms of how they dress, yeah. but their faces are Yeah, they strong. they do have that Just like that old school me. square jawed look. <laughs> With a yeah. little too much forehead, but it's fine. Not as much <laughs> as the moon monster. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> but almost. <laughs> but th- th- this movie it- it's so gay. Um like it's it's really hard to nigh impossible to not read this as like um queer theory and uh, I don't think that Barker would particularly object to it and 
to keep in mind, like, this is him hot off the heels of Hellraiser. So it's not exactly like the movie is not supposed to be sexy. Like, there's some extended scenes of, like, Boone and Laurie very intensely making out. Well, this movie is absolutely um, shot in a very sort of, like, tactile, sensual way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there are... In a way that's... So, in a way that wouldn't have felt weird to watch at the time, I don't think, as much right. as it does now. Yeah, because they don't like make it's... movies. You're not allowed to make movies where people actually want to fuck <laughs> anymore. Yeah, the horny police have uh, have won. And there's um there's there's the other part of this movie I really like is you do see so you see at one point Boone's having a fantasy of his girlfriend and he's in his underwear and she's in her underwear like they're both wearing like she's wearing white lingerie he's wearing white tidy whities which is. An intriguing choice, but I'm not going to question this it. This also much. the 90s. Like, like, it's very weird, like, the point when boxers became normal. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't They didn't invent boxers until well I'm after. I'm just saying, weird... she's wearing beautiful <laughs> lace underwear, and he's wearing something from, like, sixth grade. It's a weird <laughs> but moment But they're for clean, me. and that's the important <laughs> part. But they're co-equal. Like, like, in his sort of, like, fantasy of him and her, this hallucination that he sees, they're both equally naked. We don't really see women being objectified any other time except for the monster women who are deliberately doing it to attract the attention of a fascist who then, when that fascist gawks at their naked or beautiful bodies, they murder those men. (laughs) Uh, One of them... The the porcupine lady. Yeah, there's there's a woman who has, like, poison porcupine quills and lures a guy into a corner by, like, slowly strip-teasing in front of him. And when he, like, goes to, like, gawk and stare at her, she turns around and flings her quills and, like, it gouges out his eyes. I'm like, this feels very unsubtle. And, again, <laughs> also, like, there's some... Uh, there's a really great book, like, The Trouble with Normal, that talks about certain things with queerness and queer theory. And one of them is that the author of that book argues that all of these subcultures have a lot, a lot of overlap and that they should exist together in solidarity, right? So you have, like, gay people, the LGBT community, like gay people, trans people, things like that. But then in that community, you also have a lot of overlap with sex workers of various kinds. In that community, you also have a lot of overlap with kinksters. So somebody could be not LGBT, but a sex worker, but they are going to be in a community that touches each other and has a lot of overlapping things. So, like, you can see the night breed when they talk about, the, you know, the tribes of the moon is all of these people that exist in the same place at night. And it just, um, I really love this movie. Well, there's y'all. also, like, different types of <laughs> monsters. And also, I think what's, it's, what's yes. interesting. Yeah. No two are alike. Right. What's even more interesting is they are not indestructible. No. These are yeah. very much things that, that can be killed. And some of them react, are able to live in daylight, some of them are not. Like, Boone is able to go and walk in the yeah, sun, like, no real problem. Yeah, it's an interesting contrast with Hellraiser, because in Hellraiser you have creatures that are essentially, like, indestructible right. desires that, that, like, you can't do anything about, and that once awakened you cannot escape. Whereas here, they are fundamentally just very different people. They're so, people, there's a critic uh, I love, William Bibiani. He's made a statement about Nightbreed that it is the best mm-hmm. non-X-Men movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is and 100% I was right. like about an hour into it, I was like, okay, since we watched the director's cut, that's two hours long. And because it is the movie it is, about ten minutes later, I'm like, oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because you do have a, so, prof- a oh. Professor Xavier type who doesn't really do anything. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's got, and yeah. he has like eyeballs on his face, that, but like more than normal. I mean, I, actually, I should clarify. No, actually, Jeremiah, I, I haven't asked you this yet. Did you, in, I mean, I guess for you to ask you whether you like a movie is, is a bit more of a question because you've Shallow. seen a lot of movies that you don't <laughs> like that you watch. But did you like yeah, it? Yeah, I loved it. Were you like, this, this, this was a good yeah. movie to add to my repertoire? Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm very interested at, at some point in the future, I would like to track down the theatrical cut yeah. and see what horrors were um, were done to this. Um, I've liked it. As, I think it has a lot of the same problems as Return to Oz does. But I think they're both mm. really good. But I really enjoyed Nightbreed for the fact that, again, I, I have a special affection for Johnny Guitar type movies. <laughs> in the right, but like, the, like there's a certain type of movie in which you can, like, this is clearly a labor of love for Clive Parker. And, like, my mm-hmm. only real complaint is it feels like sometimes he gets lost in the action. And that's just because he's new. Yeah. And it's like, I, it doesn't detract from the movie, I don't think. And it's like, it's two hours, but it doesn't feel it. Mm-mm. No! I honestly, like, I was expecting... Like, I was worried when I initially saw the du- the director's cut was two hours since I, I like, looked at right. what the theatrical cut was. And I was like, well, well like, uh, the other cuts well, are even longer. I, I'm, I'm a long movie... Yeah, like I'm a I'm a long movie guy, so I don't I don't inherently mind, but I am always inherently like a like a little suspicious so here's of the a thing. two hour runtime because like I, I what, wish what, it was a three hour movie. I have no compunctions <laughs> with saying I wish this movie was much longer and I think it would be really good if it was because I, I think I could absolutely see what's here being extended into something longer and like Still the, being coherent. The older I get, idea. it's not that I become more suspicious of a longer movie, so much mm. as I'm much more aware of, like, I don't have it in me to sit through that right now. <laughs> we'll deal with you later. I would sit. I'm going to pick up this other movie. What are you? Are you a sleazy 80 minute? Oh, yeah, you'll be fine. I can handle you. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel like this. It's not that. It's a little bit incoherent at some points. It definitely runs on dream slash nightmare logic, which I love a little bit. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah, that's what that. I love about it. But there are a few places where I'm like, I really wish that this character, like this preacher we meet, who ends up being super important, is introduced fairly late and doesn't yeah. really make a lot of sense. Like I- I'm happy to go along right. with it, like because he starts out as been... questioning the faith, wanting to go along with them. And then because they throw water in his face and burn him, it's like, I will kill you all! <laughs> yeah, it's a wild turnaround. There's this part where, like, he listens to... There's a lot of horrifying cop violence in this. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. really impressive. Yeah. Um. It's actually a little... In the context of the world we live in now, um, it's a little bit uncomfortable, like, in a good way, hmm. to be like, you know who's the worst? Cops. The police. Well, because Watch because you would not eat and torture these people gleefully, and there's nothing you can do about it because they have power. This, this by the way, takes place you in Canada. Would not see, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is weird. Because and like the like... cop talks like he's an American because he talks about like patriotism, and they have a lot of guns and weapons that I Carol. All cops talk like Americans. I don't think are legal in Canada. Mel, and this is also 1990. <laughs> I think that uh, Canada's always been. A, I don't know. Maybe this is my Americanness speaking, but I, always, I felt like Canada's always been had to stick up its ass about weapons of mass murder being allowed on their popu- with their populace. I, I I mean, they have rocket launchers and stuff. In the end, I think I think it's doing symbolism. More this than, is true. Um, 
more than fidelity to reality. Uh, but uh, but it also like it also is weird to hear like them say local names that aren't local names I'm familiar with. Right, no, no Calgary, yeah. but Skadoon. I was like, that's not a real place. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I I I do like uh, you know, Carrot was just talking about the the way the cops are portrayed, and this is one of those things that's striking because. I cannot remember another movie that portrays cops this way that isn't about that. Because, like, this is not a movie about cops. It's not about dirty cops. It's not about violent cops. It's not about cops. They're just a part of this world, and the way they are portrayed is, like Kara said, like, very striking in a way that I think is important and absent in 2023. Clive is openly gay. (laughs) And if you want to talk mm-hmm. about yeah. queer theory, this is uh, during the AIDS pandemic. And mm-hmm. cops are not friendly to gays at this point either. And it's very easy to see the Tribe of the Moon as basically... Because they are monsters, but they do not act monstrous, as we brought up before. Yeah. And I think it's important to add, like, one of the things is that Boone... Their leader has been telling them, like, you know, stay away, let's have this refuge, and where Boone later talks to their god, Baphomet, Baphomet tells them, like, you have destroyed our refuge. And that was always inevitable. No place is a refuge forever. Lead them, and and Boone is like, fight back. Like, we're not going to cower, we're not going to let them slaughter us, we are going to fight. And he says, there's no reason we shouldn't get up and fight. And don't be afraid to let the worst monsters get these like insane berserker monsters that they end up letting out. He's like, let them fight. Don't be afraid to be ugly, to be horrible, to show them what we can really like. Do. Understand that the activist protests in that time they would show up to the places where senators and don't billionaire donors were golfing and yell mm-hmm. and shame yeah. them, <laughs> which is absolutely the way anything got done. Owns. Yeah. Yeah. Part, good, right. Good, There's good a reason things, they no had notes. a shirt that said, "If I die, I put my body at the door of the FDA." Like there is. <laughs> yeah. And I just really like that as a sentiment of like, oh, because they're they they're not nice. They're not like, oh, these beautiful, delicate things don't understand them. No, they're they're dangerous. Right. They are dangerous, and they murder, and they eat people, but they also are not bothering anyone, and also going on this gleeful torture rampage of gutting children and watching people scream is not you protecting yourself it's you looking for justification to be a safe right and also mm-hmm. uh when the one monster does try to eat boone the other one's like it's against the law to eat him yeah we don't do that mm-hmm. and the guy's like right you, like there's a like anyway. there's a very least a system <laughs> in place they have of rules that no one seems to really follow but <laughs> and also, I love how the fact I really that, like um, to think of the Morris guy. Oh, what's her name? Uh, Boone's girlfriend, Lloyd, just refuses Lori. to listen yeah. to anyone, <laughs> including Boone. <laughs> Don't follow me. I I... Don't come down here. Leave me alone. <laughs> I, I I like that about her in a way because she's not stupid. Right. She's not like, I don't believe you, or I think this is more important. She's like, oh, there, there's definitely people eating monsters down there, and that's just the price for finding out what happens yeah. to him, which I, I think is, is a nice story yeah. where she's not weak or fragile. She's just in a very 
ha- having a weird one. She's having a real weird one, and she's doing. She's doing. Well, I mean, she's though. going through in a very short span of time. Her boyfriend has both a been accused of being a serial killer, been murdered, mm-hmm. and <laughs> then also come back to life only to go. By the way, that therapist who helped me out for a bit, he's actually the serial killer, and also ooh, monsters ooh, exist. Can we... <laughs> yeah, there's that. There, there's oh, actually. actually sir, uh, I'm so sorry, Thess. I will let you go next, I promise. There's actually a bit where the first thing Lori, her introduction to the monsters of uh, Midian is this weird cat-like thing that's been caught in the sun and screaming and dying and a very strange woman begging her to bring it into the dark. And so she picks up this inhuman thing and brings it to this woman and it transforms into a child. This woman explains like, oh yeah, like she, she likes to play outside. And Lori is taken aback by this, but none of it... She's like, well, oh, that is a child that turns into a monster thing, and therefore I should kill them. She's like, oh, that's weird and alarming. <laughs> Where's my boyfriend? <laughs> she, she does... I also do... It, it just... Some normies don't care. <laughs> there are people out there who are not going to freak out because you're weird. Right. Yeah, the uh, I do love that 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 particular Nightbreed woman who she she meets there is also like acting like someone straight out of like the Wolfman because <laughs> she's got this like Universal Monsters era Romanian accent going yeah. on, and even her makeup is a little bit like, like she's acting in a way that I too I know, would I, be a little bit like. Do I have so to good. give her the cat? Can I just yeah, maybe <laughs> you come out and take the cat? Anyway. I don't really. Like... I'm not the... sure I trust you. <laughs> okay, my turn. Dibs. Dibs. Um, because we have to talk more about <laughs> David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg MVP. David Cronenberg is perfect. I love him so much, and not just generally, but I mean specifically this the the way this character is written is something that I also think is great. Great mask, by the way. His killer oh, yeah. mask, really top mask. tier. Great killer mask. I want one. But oh. the, the <laughs> thing that's great about Dr. Decker... is not so enthused about that like... last one. <laughs> uh, yeah, she is. Um, but the, the, the thing about Dr. Decker that's great on just on the script page is how he... Abe- like, the fact that his power and the, the threat of him... Like, yeah, he puts on a mask and will stab you, and and that's scary and all. But the thing that makes him the worst threat is that he has institutional power and is a boring-looking white man. Like, he gets the police to kill Boone initially, thinking well, thinking that they're killing Boone anyway, by just being like, he's got a gun, and then, like, a police shooting, a a police-involved shooting happens where several police bullets impact a person and then unrelatedly that person dies <laughs> uh and you know he he also is the one who gets the cops to raid midian and it's it's just a it's just such a great uh like the the, the character in the casting is such a great way of communicating the implicit threat of the people that the system will listen to most so it's i just want to so mention good. a name robin vid uh, virginian virginian mm-hmm. he's the uh, cinematographer mm-hmm. And what he and Barker do oh, yeah, with yeah. lighting, because they, because Kara mentioned like dream logic and everything, but like they do a really good job of giving the movie a dreamlike feel, without being mm-hmm. like surrealistic. Mm-hmm. It's like in terms of like it's not lit like a noir, but it does have those like half shadowed, brightly lit elements, and there is a sort of like 
I guess because all the practical everything just feels like it's ready to jump off the screen. If that makes mm. any sense. Yeah. It, it feels very real. Um, apparently at one point they were they were trying to get the um, special effects guy who was working on the thing oh. to, to do their stuff. And that guy, uh, if I remember correctly, did not end up doing it. But I feel like it's like this is part of that era. Well, and this is being shot uh, by next door to the Batman. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can feel it. <laughs> like, no, seriously, <laughs> on Pinewood Studios, next door is the Batman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also scored cool. by Danny Elfman. So cool. Batman, 1989, Kara's hmm? <laughs> being a pedant. Don't worry about it. Right. Um, the movie was released in 1990, Kara. It was not called The Batman. It's just okay. Batman. Oh, I see. Yeah, I apologize. What doing. Uh, you, you didn't have to go down this road. <laughs> Also, same same cinematographer as the okay, yeah. Hellraiser movies, so I feel like that that that's that guy. Well, it also makes sense because it'd be someone Barker probably feels comfortable with, because I know Barker uh, worked yeah. closely on Hellraiser. Hmm. Uh, speaking of um, people with first timers, return to Oz. What? Hmm. Oh. Sorry, I realized I faced up horribly. <laughs> first time directors. Feature debuts. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Words. I'm a writer. <laughs> uh. I, I don't know what the first time was that you were referring to. Now I know it was directors, but initially I'm like, nah, I, th- I think Boone's fucked before. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, Return to Oz, uh, directed by Robert, uh, sorry, Walter Murch, who I don't know if you guys know who he is. Um, so he was a sound designer, sound editor, and actual film editor. He worked on a movie called Star Wars. Yeah, and another movie you never heard of, he edited uh, Apocalypse Now. Which Mm. leads to the fact that when he got fired on Return to Oz, a couple hours after being fired by the producer of fucking Police Academy, by the way. (laughs) George Lucas calls up and goes, I hear you fired Wally. And he's oh, like, look, no. George, I don't know you, but I don't think Walter has it in him to direct a movie. He doesn't seem to know where he is in the shooting schedule. And Lucas is like, okay, well, tell you what, don't do anything, and I'll be there in a couple hours. 20 minutes <laughs> later, according to this producer, Steven Spielberg calls up. So I hear we're firing wall. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I'll, I'll be there in a bit. <laughs> Later on, Francis Ford Coppola calls up. And he's like, so what's oh this I have about Fireman Wally? <laughs> Suffice to say, uh, Walter oh. Much uh, finished uh, shooting that production. <laughs> oh, wow. Pays to have buds. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea... I don't know which would be better. I actually think it would be best if he just mentioned, like, oh, yeah, I got fired. And, like, all of his friends did this without him asking. Like, independently were like, mm-hmm. I think they did because it wasn't no. like a, it was like, they, I don't, he don't, he wasn't even really aware he was fired. <laughs> it was just one of those things where they have enough, like, people on the soundstage and in the business of, like, oh, this guy's getting fired yeah. today. Yeah. People and also, like, at that time, they are the three biggest fucking <laughs> people working at yeah. <laughs> uh, Return to Oz is... Um, oh, that's... 
1985, so yeah. <laughs> this is at the height of Lucas and Spielberg yep. and Coppola. Uh, Kayla, do you want to take another whack at this one? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, what happens in this movie, Kara? Okay. This movie uh, very much has, like, time as a flat circle because I was like, wait, because I had forgotten that Danny Elfman did Nightbreed, but also um, Brian, it's Brian Henson, yeah. right, is the voice yeah. of Jack Pumpkinhead. Uh, one of his, like, of, uh, of Jack Pumpkinhead. Mm-hmm. Also, he ended up marrying the princess from Legend, one of my other favorite movies. And so I've been brooding on what this means to me. I haven't decided yet, but it feels pretentious. Uh, Portentious or pretentious? Okay, making sure. I guess like, what? Why does it feel? Okay. (laughs) Uh, Return to Oz is um, based on the book Return to Oz and is... uh, written as like a sequel to the the uh 1930s wizard of oz uh young dorothy um her auntie m has become increasingly concerned because dorothy keeps talking about this place she hallucinated (laughs) um she will not accept the fact that oz is not real uh they have are becoming increasingly concerned and fine because she can no longer sleep and finally out of desperation they bring dorothy to a sanitarium to have this incredible new technique that will help her sleep uh it's called um it's something to do with electricity they're gonna inject electricity in her brain they'll probably give her the electric yeah yeah, it's definitely not going to be bad at all (laughs) and a terrible storm breaks out a young girl comes out of nowhere knowing who dorothy is and rescues her dragging her away from the sanitarium uh at which point uh dorothy falls into a river is knocked unconscious and wakes up in Oz to find that the Emerald City, everyone in it has been turned to stone and it has been taken overtaken by these monsters called the Wheelies. Her chicken from the farm uh, has arrived with her for some reason and also can now talk, which is odd. Because animals talk and in Oz. Because re- all animals can talk mm-hmm. in Oz. Uh, don't think about mm-hmm. it too much. Don't worry about it. It's what's happening. She uh, ends up meeting TikTok, the one-man... Uh, mechanical army and they go on a journey uh, occasionally aided by a mysterious girl slash mysterious shadow to try and find what has happened eventually running into oh was it mumbo Mombi. i always forget this woman's name Mombi. uh Mombi, a witch sorceress princess who can who steals the heads of beautiful girls so that way she can wear whichever head she wants uh hot shit and <laughs> And eventually, uh, um, she uh, Dorothy runs into uh, Jack Pumpkinhead, a pumpkin-headed skeleton that has that uh, has been excellently brought to life. Uh, uses the life powder that brought him to life to create a talking moose flying. That's not a moose. It's a gump. Moose car. It's a yeah, gump. It's a gump. It's, it's definitely yeah, a green moose. <laughs> and escapes to fight the gnome king. Uh, the Gnome mm-hmm. King is slow. Is a rock, unclear, mm-hmm. who uh, furious that humans keep delving into the earth to steal the emeralds, including the emeralds in Emerald City, has decided that he is going to take over the world and possibly destroy it. Again, motivations unclear. Unimportant monster uh, challenges Dorothy to find uh, in his castle room. Uh, he's turned all of the citizens 
including the scarecrow, uh, into objects, and Dorothy has to figure out which one is her friend, which she eventually does by realizing that they're all green. And then the Gnome King attacks her, and her chicken feeds him an egg, and then he dies, because eggs mm-hmm. are poison to the rock. Which I had to do some research on, and apparently it's because for them they were coming from the fact that it's a matriarchal thing, and there were no mm. women gnomes. Mm. <laughs> right, <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What? Uh, anyway, so everyone's turned back to human. Everything is fine. Uh, Dorothy has her chicken. Her friends are all brought back. At which point they beg Dorothy to be their queen. She refuses, looks in a mirror, sees the mysterious girls in the mirror, pulls her out, who's Ozma, the true queen of Oz. This is definitely something that we all knew about. <laughs> um, and then... Because don't you know Dorothy- the chorus of beautiful women who formerly had no heads... Tell us this, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is how all narrative function should happen. Yeah. And uh, Dorothy ends up going home and waking up back at home, where she realizes that she needs to stop the sanitarium burned down. Her auntie M promises not to try to change her anymore. Dorothy realizes she needs to stop talking about Oz, and Ozma waves at her from her dresser mirror. The question of whether or not Dorothy has been vividly hallucinating as a profoundly ill child is left up to the viewer. I like to think yes. Um, I think... No, magic is always real. I think what's interesting is all of this stuff, which I assumed had just been like 80s invention, it's straight from the book. Oh, yeah. I, 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 uh, the first two books in the Wizard of Oz series are my favorites. After that, I think they really go downhill. But Ozma is great because, fun fact, Ozma was born a fairy girl that was turned into a little boy to be hidden until she could take her rightful place as the Queen of Oz. And so, however you want to read that, Ozma... Some people read Ozma as, like, a story or an allegory for being right. trans and or queer. So I had forgotten that part until I watched the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot all this about Ozma used to be a boy, which is not included in the movie at all, but I know it's true. Um, Dorothy, by the way, is played by a young Fusa Bulk. Oh yeah. yeah, Thaddeus freaked out. He's like, Kara, do you know who this is? This is the girl from The Craft. I'm like, of course I know who this is. Why do you think I love this movie? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and she always had kind so of what's, unsettling So what's really eyes. great about this movie <laughs> is... The amount of visual and special effects, and how each of that informs the personality of the creatures that they are using. Which is also why I think, honestly, the Scarecrow is the least effective thing in this movie. No. Yeah, I do not, I do not like the Scarecrow in this movie. It's, so, so, it makes me sad. Everything else is practical effects, right? Practical puppetry, so, um, um, Will Venton animation, yeah, and electrical stuff. Hmm. So, so just for perspective, so like um, the the pumpkin head literally has a pumpkin head. It's like a scarecrow with a pumpkin head on it. And there is mm-hmm. a slight thing where it's a puppet. So like the pumpkin slightly moves and expresses like kind of the way that Deadpool or Spider-Man's eyes do in the comics. Like it's very subtle, but like it does have some expression right. to it. Uh, the great. Gump is clearly like a puppet. Again, its eyes open and close. The Scarecrow is just a doll. It's head. like a mask. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it is one of the uh, scariest just, things oof. 
in this no, movie, do I don't know if it's supposed mm-hmm. to be as terrifying as I have always. The mouth it doesn't be. move. But the voice yeah, is like yeah, goofy. If I saw that, like. If I turned a corner and saw that, but then I would you die see pictures of what the scarecrow looks like in the books, and it's very faithful to that, but like it doesn't fit with all the other creatures. And I don't know if you guys yeah, watched that interview very I sent odd. you uh, with Walter Murch, who oh, said, no, who has said repeatedly, the people telling him they found this movie scary baffles him because he wasn't trying to scare anyone. He wasn't trying to be creepy. And he brought up two very good points. It's not a Mm. musical. And the first Mm. Wizard of Oz has a lot of dark stuff going on. But A, it's really colorful. And B, it's constantly Mm. breaking out in a song. So it takes away some of that danger. And B, Mm -hmm. he has an actual nine-year-old girl playing a nine-year-old girl. And he wants to put her in Mm. desperate Mm -hmm. situations. It is not... A young Judy Garland playing younger. Well, I think yeah. also, though, in this one, I feel like the threats are more explicit. Well, again, because it's not a musical fantasy. But I, I'm just saying that, like, the, the threat to Dorothy in the 1930s movie, I'm not even really sure what it was. I think it was just she was going to be stuck here and, like, a witch was nebulously angry with her. And then this one, someone grabs Dorothy, that the witch grabs Dorothy's face, tells her she's uh, not beautiful, but pretty in an interesting way, and she's going to lock her in a tower and cut off her head to wear her face. <laughs> like, it's not implied. She very specifically is like, you are not pretty, but you will do. I'm going to lock you in a tower so I can cut off your head and wear your face. Like, to be like, I don't know why you would find that scary. I, you know what? Yeah, it's just traditional. Yeah, and like, it's stuff. the thing oh, of, like, the A, because, like, there is a sort of, like, much like with Nightbeat, a tactileness to this one. Because yeah. it's not a brightly colored, technicolor, like, musical fantasy, this is much more a, I don't want to say gritty, but a de- Well, it's, I think it feels more, well, it feels more like a real place, because, like, the creatures in the original Wizard of Oz movie, well, right. not the original, but you know what the I mean. The one that everyone knows. Uh, are, they're, they're stage right. musical costumes, essentially. They're, they're clearly people in makeup. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you look in this, like, the lion is a lion now. The Tin Woodsman is a, a clearly not and a And I person. think that's part of what he's getting uh, at Scarecrow is... is actually the this only... This is less clearly a constant reminder of this as a movie or a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is much more of an immersive This world. is a fantasy. Well, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I agree. And, I, like, one of the things I said earlier was, like dream logic and it does run a little bit on sort of child logic or dream logic which is actually very true to the books but i would like to redirect dream logic into nightmare logic because dream logic is like oh like lots of cool and beautiful things are happening it kind of all strings together it kind of doesn't and nightmare logic has the same thing only all of it is like unable to be woken up from and yeah, honestly, as someone who has sleep I, paralysis, I would say that, yeah, uh, Return to Oz gives me that uh, sleep paralysis feeling. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that in terms of nightmare, lo- like truly like nightmare logic in a literal sense in a movie is very well encapsulated by the idea of in this room full of random knickknacks, you have to find the one that is your friend. <laughs> and if you guess wrong, you will be trapped in this place yeah. forever. 
That is such a nightmare. Like, that literally, it makes nightmare sense. Well, and I think a lot of what makes this movie scary is remembering our feelings of it. Because you watch it now, and there is a sort of optimism to this movie. Dorothy is just constantly fighting to save her friends. It can't be helped. She says that a lot. Like, people are like, I'm sorry that we're all going to die because of me. And she's like, it can't be helped. She says that like three or four times. It's quite funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, like, even TikTok is like my lifeless, like, my my inhumanity is something I value. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, there is, like, in its own way, they are fighting not direct fascism, but a fascism of a sort. And, but also, yeah. Will Vinton's claymation. Oh, I had oh, forgotten Jesus. how much of that, like, I was like, oh my god, I remember this. <laughs> but also, like, <laughs> it's so simple yet effective. But then, like, the Gnome King slowly mm. becoming more human. More human yeah. as he transforms other, her friends into things. Like, he's stealing yeah. their life force so he can be Very. more alive. But not only that, Very but, like, when, once Mom becomes, like, to inform him of things he already knows. He's like, Neil, lower. 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 <laughs> like, he's a legitimately power-hungry. and Which is odd, because without that scene, yeah, you almost start asshole. feeling for him. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like uh, Mitch puts that scene there simply so you remember, no, 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 he's a bad guy. Yeah, well, because he is like the actor playing him has a great like casualness to him. It's right. how he takes people in. Like he, because like Dorothy in this movie approaches sort of like the it can't be helped thing. Like she approaches everything very openly and is not judgmental of anyone, be they witch or monster or or anything. And so she's also very taken in by the game that right. is rigged against them because he presents it in a very friendly fashion. And well, and also go, going back to like. Us being scared. Dorothy is never really scared. Not really. She, 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 she rolls with things. She rolls with things really well, but the the times we see her most scared is when she literally screams and runs away is in the real yeah. world. Like, the most yeah. oppressive terror is when she's in the sanitarium and they're going to harm her, and she's, like, locked in this very late 1800s early 1900s normal looking actually it's room. not like, locked it's not i found Tim that Burton weird room. remember she looks up it's not locked <laughs> she looks out in the hallway it's, 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 oh, it's yeah. not like stylized right. like it's like if, if you went to like a recreation of a house from that time period that's what this room would look like and it's the the terror of being in control of adults who don't tell you what's happening and don't care about what you want and you can't do anything about what they're about to do to you. And so the best thing you can mm. do is give in, go limp, and cooperate. Like, there is something that was very... I, I think that that's where some of the fear comes from, is it sets... A sort of helplessness. This helplessness. Yeah. And as an adult, you watch it and realize that, like, the people at the sanitarium are, in fact, wrong that this will help her. And they know it's harmed other people. But their intention is not you know, Dr. Mengele right. malice. They're like, oh no, there's a good shot. This will help. Like they really think it will help, but they won't consider the fact that it won't. And there is nothing Dorothy can do to convince them that what they're about to do to her is bad. And so and like, that was very much a feeling of a childhood. Like, please don't do this thing to me that you're telling me is good. And I'm very sure it's not. Please don't shot do that. by David Walken and Fetty Francis. Uh, they capture the bleakness of Kansas better than anything. 
Uh, actually, I would I would turn to Thaddeus and I said, "This Kansas looks unusually green and not bloody." <laughs> <laughs> um, but the there was an interview with Fraser Balk that I was watching, and they're just like, "No, most of this town site was fine. I, I I actually had a great time." And someone's like, "Even in the river?" Okay, no, that one I was scared. Because <laughs> <laughs> they yeah, they built like that, that river in a studio. So that's a very real like situation. They have God, scuba divers down safe. there in case anything happens. That's very much. Mm. They literally threw her into a churning vat. <laughs> um, like it was. It was one of the things. Like after it happened, her mother was like, "Okay, well, we're done for the day. Nope, nope, we're good. We're going home now." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that seems like that um, would be enough for one day. I, I do. So this is what you say, eighty-five. Yeah. To have the star of your movie be 11, which means you can only film for, like, what, three hours a day max, might be one reason why the film schedule is off. It's like, yeah, like, a child (laughs) is not allowed to be, like, they have to still be getting school, and they have to have this much time off stage, and they have to do this and that. Well, they were also shooting, I believe, Yeah, guys. Mm. Oh, yeah. This is also, by the way, another Pinewood movie. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if he meant to do that. Look, everyone wants um, a soundstage. I'm, but, um, and also, this is his first movie directing. Um, hmm. You're going to fire but, Wally. Well, and also because Wally had sat down <laughs> and the dude's just like, are you okay? It's like, I don't know where I am. It's like, what do you mean? Like, in the movie, I don't know where we're at. Which, to be fair, is a pretty unsettling that, thing that to com- hear your director say. <laughs> Oof. But... But you know, I I would argue that he uh, yeah I would no argue he did. That he um, I this one has the great. same like uh, the same issue was like this. I feel like there are gaps missing. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. ends sort of abruptly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it ends with the ending <laughs> to Star Wars. Um, like they even they even polish up TikTok to uh, be as shiny as C three PO in the like awards banquet scene. Which, well, the by the way, how how unsettling was the name TikTok to you? <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't think about it until I was looking at the the IMDb page after, <laughs> and so I written down, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> weird." <laughs> Wait, why is that weird? What? Because you... of that app that you're not allowed to use anymore. Oh, oh, really? Because I always thought it was weird because TikTok was the name of the dog in um, the Phantom Tollbooth. Oh, see, I think TikTok, and I think uh, the that that writer who's an asshole. Um, oh, you guys yeah, I'm like, that's, that. that's a lot. Franzen? <laughs> Harlan, Harlan Ellison, uh, yeah, trademark Yeah, symbol. he is a um, <laughs> terrific writer and a terrific asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he comes yes. up with really good ideas. Uh, is what I will Babylon say. 5 yeah. is amazing. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair. Uh, um, but... I was shocked by how well Return to Oz held up. And also, like, all the yeah. things in it, I, I was it's... like, I had always associated with 80s thing, but that's stuff straight from the book, and that's weird. Yeah. Because even for the time, like, that's a very specific time in terms of, like, what fantasy looks like. So those creatures mm-hmm. have a very mm-hmm. sort of antiquated feel to them. But the wheelers look like something an 80s mind would conjure up. Very the, the, 80s. The, the wheelers are so clearly like 80s punk. But they're from the yeah. book. 
Oh, I'm yeah. shocked. I was shocked when you said that, by the way. Because they do have like that, that neon yeah. feel to them and everything. They almost have like that. Yeah. They have that sort of like the little tubing. They're oh, they look punks. like they they're very clearly skater punks. They look like they could have rolled out of Escape <laughs> from New York. Either like, that or Prayer for the Bola Boys. Like something. Uh, but they're like a, a gang cut from the Warriors. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But, uh... Come out to play. Well, I'm also like the amount of like. Every aspect of special effects is borrowing from another field of special effects. And yet, at the same time, each, mm-hmm. like, creature, whatever the majority of effect it is, like, that's the personality it's sort of leaning on. Like, TikTok is mm. a puppet. That's a guy with his head literally up his ass. Like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a great bit where he's like, my... Br- uh, my- you have to wind up the different things for, like, his brain, yeah. his action, his this, his that. And he's, like, basically he says, like, I'm still moving, but my brain's turned off. And Dorothy's like, yeah, that yeah. happens to everybody. Right. That, <laughs> happens to, that happens regular <laughs> to, to humans, too. Like, Walter Mush co-wrote this, too. Yeah, he co-wrote oh, it with, um... Gil Dennis. Uh, but, yeah, no, like, the dialogue here is really good. Yeah, it's great. There's great character interactions. Like, it's, uh, I, I just, I really liked this. Like, I'd seen it before, but right. as a child. So I was not, I wasn't sure how I would, like, I, I knew that I would enjoy parts of this movie because of the vibe and the effects and those those things that I know I still appreciate. But I like this movie way more than I, re- yeah. than I expected. Yeah, well, and also, uh, much like Nightbreed, uh, the monsters are much more sympathetic. Yeah, the denizens of the like, world. Like, um, Jack Pumpkinhead is a child, and like it's also one of the things. Mm-hmm. But also, like Dorothy isn't afraid of Jack Pumpkinhead, even though as a child, Jack Pumpkinhead was absolutely disturbing. <laughs> oh, really? well, because he reminded me of one of the ghosts from Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cartoon. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the I, I was it Jack o' Lantern. Um, but yes. No, it was. Uh, I think it was mispronouncing the the name of what the holiday oh, Halloween is called. I yes, think his name was Sam Hain. Yes. his name was Sam Hain, but right. that's not how you pronounce that word. <laughs> what? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> it happens. Nation. It happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, these were really two uh, two really good picks, Kat. <gasps> yeah. yeah. On paper, I, when you told me uh, about them, I'm like, there's really no overlap here. I don't know what you're really hoping to connect. And then it's like, oh, there's actually a lot. <laughs> Not yeah, just in terms yeah. of, like, trivia, <laughs> but, like, basic themes. Yeah. Themes, thing. I mean, just a sort of both dark fantasy, but themes of genre about, like, the the dangers of authority and the ways that, like, adults or adults writing for children will interpret those themes because you know what's the difference between the cops being insane monster killers and the we you know the doctor who's trying to electrocute you being secretly the known right. king it is, it's very much <laughs> about like hey you know those people in your world that you can't do anything about let's make them let, let's put like a bunch of magic cool fantasy things so we can talk about like fuck those guys <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck them up. Fight back. Both, both of these also are very much like, yeah, fight, fight back. Fight the hell. Yeah. Yeah, fight them. Uh, so this is the, the power of love 
is not what wins both of these movies. It's the power of dick kicking. <laughs> Sadly, um, the Arnold, there's not a lot of dick kicking, but there is a lot of kicking. That's true. Um, but uh, Thad, what are your take? I I mean, it, it, in terms of like things that I see overlapping, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I would also, you know, I would draw parallels to the rant that I went on about Cronenberg's character, like the the, the dangers of institutional power. When trusted, yeah, the dangers of institutional power, like what trusted authorities can get away with, either intentionally or just not realizing the damage that they do, um, uh, or thinking that the damage that they do is doing good. Like, uh, there's there's a lot of that, uh, which is are themes that I think are increasingly important uh, yeah. every passing day. But also just the, um, I mean, the, the, to, to, to go away from story themes, just the tactility of both of these worlds and the creatures in them. Um, like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to dump on, like, the original Wizard of Oz, because it's a classic, and it's classic for a reason. But, like, Oz never felt, like, that Oz did not feel real the way that this place does. And, uh, and the way that, like, Midian feels like a, a place that, like, things live in a way that is never fully explained or fully drawn out and, and could clearly, like, right. have gone on. And these, these are just very, like, fantastic but lived-in worlds, and I just love I, it. I actually want to add with, like, Midian because it takes place in a cemetery and it's underground. It has all this, like, this sort of, like, dirty underground world quality to it. You, mm. I can smell what Midian would smell, like, because it smells like you've ever <laughs> been to, like, an abandoned graveyard and gone inside any of the buildings that has that dusty, earthy, undisturbed smell. It, it, it's so tactile. They're like, oh, I know what this place would, would smell like. I know what the air would feel like here because it feels real. Yeah. She said, definitely being full of... No, 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 that's for no. Yeah, so just, uh, yeah, so, so uh, make, make more... Have sound stages, fill them with crazy nonsense. Uh, no, all well, practical. No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah, some digital is fine. I, <laughs> I, I think, I think we we lean too I hard know, on yeah. uh, digital when it, really it's just people we using do. digital badly. Well, yeah, well used digital that is not being weaponized in order to undermine uh, unions. Also, stuff, a lot of great so, map uh, paintings. <laughs> more important. Yeah, like that's okay. Midian's a graveyard, but you know what else Midian is? Really Midian great is map, map painting. painting. It's a good one. <laughs> Uh, love a matte painting. I said that while we were watching the movie out loud several times. If you don't know what a matte painting is, watch Nightbreed. You'll find out. <laughs> it's not as obvious in Return yeah, to Oz. Like, yeah, the, it, the, I mean, there there are some big ones, but yeah, like it's it's not as I don't know. Like I kind of like how obvious the oh, I love painting it. is in Nightbreed <laughs> because it's sort of. It's clear, but it doesn't matter because it helps right. the unreality. Like, it it adds to the dreamlike quality so of the movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's all the time we have for now. Uh, say goodbye, Thad and Kara. Goodbye, Thad and Kara. <laughs> yeah, that.